before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Marvin Barth of thematicmarkets.com. Marvin is a researcher par excellence and I was introduced to his work by our mutual friend Gerard Minnick of Minnick Advisors down in Australia earlier this year. And since I was introduced to it, I've read as much of it as I can and it is remarkable. Thought-provoking, deep, rich and incredibly broad. It's changed the way I look at many, many things and I'm hoping it will do the same for you. Marvin's website is thematicmarkets.com and he has a substack, thematicmarkets.substack.com, which I would urge you to check out. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and Chaos Theory is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, If you enjoy what you hear on the show and you'd like more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. Well, Marvin, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's so good to have this chance to chat with you. I've been reading your stuff voraciously, and uh, I'm so keen to get this chance to dig into it with you. You're very kind to me. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yours will be a name that's uh, unfamiliar to a lot of people, and um, A, that's a big shame, and hopefully we can do something about that and, and introduce you to the audience of this show for a start. So, so perhaps if you could, to begin with, just give people a little potted history of your tour of duty that got you to where you are today. So one of the sort of distinguishing features of understanding where my research comes from is that I have an unusually diverse background. I grew up in an agricultural town in the Central Valley in California, where people were farmers or worked in the local Heinz tomato ketchup factory. But I came from a very intellectual family. My dad was an engineer. He's probably the most formally overeducated person in the world. He's got a BS and MS, a PhD, all in electrical engineering. He's got a Juris Doctorate. He's got an MBA. (laughs) So there was always this intellectual curiosity there, but I also had these roots to very normal people, if that makes any sense. So when I later left and went and pursued uh, my own academic accolades, um, I went on, got a PhD in, in economics, I was thrown into the deep end right away. I started at the Fed as the Southeast Asia economist in the middle of the Asian financial crisis. And once that sort of died down, I I was sort of really an adrenaline junkie at that point. So I shifted over to the, the global financial market section where I covered global currencies, global asset markets. That was the section that would brief the board every week so in a rotation once every four weeks i'm you know i'm in my late 20s at this point i'm sitting across from alan greenspan roger ferguson larry my rest of the board the front line of defense and answering all these questions about what the heck's going on in the world and all of those things contributed to 
increasing my sort of interest in what was going on around me. But also, you know, one of the things I started to notice even there before I moved to finance and Wall Street was that that sort of background of coming from an agricultural community, having those kind of roots was very rare. Everyone else seemed to come from these pedigrees and really didn't have the same sort of perspective in that. And that really made a big difference when the Fed sent me to the BIS for a year, which is sort of like the central bank to other central banks, where I got to see how other central banks worked, how an international institution worked, all of those things, but still approached the flat part of the, the learning curve and decided, you know, I think I need to do something else. And one of my former mentors from the Fed had gone on to Citigroup. He was their chief economist. And he asked me to come over. So I started working in foreign exchange in London doing uh, foreign exchange research. And that's where I really started to notice that there was a tremendous difference between my background and the other people I was working with, particularly London finance. But, you know, even when I'd go visit the New York office, see, see that it was just very, very different perspective on life and what other people were doing. And so I think it's the fact that I had that perspective, plus, you know, I did the Fed. After I was at City, I went back and, you know, of course, done um, the BIS at the Fed. I went back to Washington and I was the chief economist for international affairs at the U.S. Treasury Department. So I then got to see how a finance ministry works and how like the G7 and G20 processes work and the IMF up close and personal because, you know, we were effectively trying to manage the IMF from, from the Treasury building, all those sorts of things. And so I have this perspective that is both elitist and sort of working class at the same time that I've been in every type of policy institution, I've been in the buy side, on the sell side, I've worked in every single asset class, and there just aren't that many people who have that kind of breadth of experience of seeing how all the institutions work and actually think about problems, plus looking at markets from so many different directions, and then you add in this very different personal perspective that I think very few people in our world seem to have had. And that I think is sort of crucial to the way I approach research. I'm always looking at things from multiple different angles and looking for what doesn't fit, what's out of place, what's wrong. And that seems to lead to my seeing things that a lot of other people seem to miss. Yeah, it shines through in your work. It's extraordinary, both in its breadth and its depth. And those different perspectives absolutely come across in your reading. And we'll come on to that because there's so much of your work that I want to talk about with you. But just quickly, if I can, I want to go back to your early days in the Fed. I'm curious to know, and obviously I think when you're in that seat as a guy in his 20s versus being in that seat as a guy in his late 30s or early 40s with some experience, it's very different. But what were the questions like that you were being asked by the Greenspans and the and the Fergusons of the world. To you as a young man, what did you think of the questions you were being asked every week? There was something I didn't appreciate at the time that really stands out to me now in contrast to what we're seeing at central banks and across policy institutions is the diversity of questions and thought. So let me come back to that. Because if you wanted one big lesson, that's the one. But just to give you just, you know, some of the anecdotes around this, Alan Greenspan is just phenomenal. The guy was amazing. Not the nicest person in the world, but 
oh my goodness, he knew everything. And, and, you know, he was from that old forecasting mode that was, I go out and I actually find out what's going on in places. He had this roster of, of CEOs that he'd call up and say, well, what's going on in your business? Why is this ha- happening? And you could see that because the staff, who are, of course, all these PhD trained economists, I don't know how many people know this about the Federal Reserve Board. If you get an offer from a top 20 university, maybe you take that over the Federal Reserve Board. Otherwise, like the Federal Reserve Board, most of their staff could be a professor at any top university. They're that good. And you have 225, well, that's when they had 225 people like this. But of course, all of these people are trained with their econometrics and their models, and they have a very different way of looking at the world. And it was so interesting watching Alan Greenspan challenge them on this. And I think there's other people who've commented on this or written about this, but you know, the whole discovery of the productivity miracle that took place during that, that was 100% Alan Greenspan. He just mercilessly attacked the Fed every single week in those board meetings, attacked the staff with, why am I seeing this profit growth over here? Why are we not seeing more inflation? And he would come back with anecdotes and all this. And the staff were just overwhelmed and effectively beaten into submission to go do the research to show, oh my gosh, actually, you're right. There's a productivity boom going on. They had no clue. They literally had no clue this was going on. It was 100% Alan Greenspan. The other interesting dynamic there was between he and Larry Meyer, because Larry Meyer is a very much an old school, here's my Phillips curve. This is what my level of Nairu is. And it was, especially for me as a briefer, answering questions back and forth. It was almost like ping pong back and forth between the chairman, Larry Meyer, chairman, Larry Meyer, each asking a question, trying to lead the staff to, oh, no, we need to hike rates. No, actually, this is a productivity shock. We don't need to. It was amazing. But to that diversity point, the thing that stands out to me now that I did not appreciate as a young man, and I'll straightforwardly admit that, I did have this arrogance of youth. Oh, I know everything. And, you know, I've just gotten this fancy PhD and I'm so smart. And we would have board members who were community bankers on there. And I remember like Susan Buys when she came on the board and all of us at lunch in the Fed cafeteria. <laughs> Do you remember what Governor Buys' question was this morning? My goodness, she, she like knows nothing. It's like crazy. We were making fun of these people. Flash forward, look at the release transcripts of the meetings 2005-2006 period. While Tim Geithner and Alan Greenspan and Ben Bernanke and everybody are patting each other on the back saying, oh, yeah, we're so smart. We're just doing such a great job running this economy. Who's the only person saying, you know what? I'm hearing a lot of disturbing stories from my colleagues in community banks about what's going on with lending standards around home mortgages. And I'm really concerned about what's going on. It's all there in the transcript. She was the only one piping up about this stuff. All those brainiacs who we thought were so smart and on our level. Is that is that the big danger? Because having a group of people who understandably all think they're so smart because they live and breathe these numbers and they live and breathe this data and If you do that, you have to think you have a really good handle on it. Also having an incredibly autocratic chairman who also thinks, I know everything that's going on. As an outside observer, looking back at that period, it always seemed to me that that was perhaps a problem, to have someone that was so convinced that they knew what was going on in an economy that 
is constantly shifting and changing and perhaps remain dogmatic about we will fix this if we carry on doing what we're doing because it's the right thing to do. Looking back on that now, was that a problem at the time? What do you think? The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.